Well, if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Mark chapter 10 this morning. Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. Let's go ahead and stand, if you would, in honor of reading God's Word. We're going to begin at verse 46, and we're going to read down through verse 52. It says, And they came to Jericho, and they being Jesus and His disciples. And as He went out of Jericho with His disciples and a great number of people, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the highway side begging. And when He heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, He began to cry out and say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And many charged him that he should hold his peace. But he cried the more a great deal. Thou son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. And they called the blind man, saying unto him, Be of good comfort, rise, he calleth thee. And he, casting away his garment, rose and came to Jesus. And Jesus answered and said unto him, What wilt thou that I should do unto thee? The blind man said unto him, Lord, that I might receive my sight. And Jesus said unto him, Go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus in the way. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful, Lord, to be in your house and just to spend some time with you. Lord, we... Uh, work out in the world, we play out in the world, we, uh, you know, gain knowledge out in the world sometimes. But, Lord, uh, the world can be a nasty place. And, uh, Lord, it can beat us up, it can wear us out, it can uh, bring great heartaches and pains into our life. And, Lord, what a blessing it is sometimes just, just to come to here and just to spend some time with you and with your people. And, Lord, we recognize that every time we gather together and every time we open up your word, that, Lord, that you want to do a great and mighty work in our lives. That, Lord, that you want to draw us to yourself. And you want us to see how glory, just your, your glory and your majesty. And you want to apply your blessings to our lives. And so, Lord, I just ask that you would help us to be open to your word this morning. That, Lord, we would not just see the truths, but that, Lord, we would see the application of those truths to each one of us as individuals. And then, Lord, we would ask that you'd give us grace. For, Lord, we recognize that we need to respond to your word appropriately. And so, Lord, we would ask that you'd not only allow us to hear your word, but to respond to it so that we would not just be hearers, but we would be doers. And so, therefore, we can experience the blessings that you want to give. And so we just ask that you'd bless this time, and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for standing. Have you ever had the opportunity to experience something great, but you kind of let it slip through your fingers? You know, maybe you had an opportunity to get a particular job, but for whatever reason, you didn't go after it. You know, maybe you had an opportunity to take an awesome trip, but you decided to just stay home. Maybe you could have gone to a game and you decided, you know, eh, I don't know if I want to do that or not. And so you stayed back and then you found out it was one of those games that, you know, that people talk about for decades on. You know, there are all kinds of reasons why we let opportunities slip through our fingers. And sometimes we are just unprepared for the moment when it arises. And so we're just not ready to respond at that time. You know, sometimes we are too scared to act upon the opportunity, and it's the fear that gets the best of us. You know, sometimes we have naysayers around us that tell us that, you know, you don't want to take the risk or you don't really have what it takes to, to, to uh, claim this opportunity. But whatever the case, you know, we look back sometimes and we think, man, man, I wish I had that to do over again. 
You know, I, w- I wish I could have taken advantage of that opportunity when it arose. And I remember when we first moved out to Phoenix, Arizona, actually it was before we had even moved, we were out there on our survey trip and uh, one of the pastors there that had been there for a while in the area, he was taking us around and showing us the different uh, suburbs and different parts of Phoenix. And, and I remember that he was telling me a story and he said, I'm going to take you up here north of uh, where we're at right now. And he said, I just want to show you some of the, where the growth is. And, and so we were driving. He said, yeah, he goes, many years ago, he goes, uh, we had a gentleman in our church and he, would, he brought me out to this location I'm going to show you. And he said, man, he said, Pastor, I, goes, I, I want you to get in on this. He, he goes, I, I, I've seen the plans. I know what their preparations are. He goes, the city is going to move out into this area. And he said, and we have an opportunity to buy this land. He goes, there's several of us that are going in together and we're going to buy this. And he goes, and I want you to be a part of this investment. I want you to come in with us and be one of our partners. I want you to buy this. I think it'd be a great, great financial decision for you to make. And so he said he went out there and he saw it and he'd kind of heard the rumors too and that the city was going to be moving out that direction. But he said, man, it was, it was a little ways out there. And he goes, when you looked at it, it was nothing. There was just nothing there and it was just barren. And if you've ever been to Phoenix, when we talk barren, we're talking about wilderness barren. We're talking about the scrub bushes. And it looks rough when it's just in its, in its natural state. And he looked at that and he had the money. He had some money that he could put toward investing there. But, you know, he just thought, man, I just don't know if it's worth the risk. And I just don't know if this is what I want to do. And, you know, maybe it does move out here, but it'll probably be years from now. Will I be able to uh, recoup my funds when I need it? And so he decided not to go into it. And so when we pulled up and he showed us the area, it was nothing but just a sea of homes and businesses. And, And he said, he goes, worst decision I ever made. He said, I could have like quadrupled. I can't remember. He told me how much it was. And it was an exorbitant amount of money he could have made on the deal. And he said, and the guy just was begging me. And he said, and I just would not give in. Well, in this section of scripture, what we see is a man who had an opportunity. But like, unlike so many, he did not let it pass him by. You know, he seized the moment and it completely changed his life. You know, Jesus and his disciples were making their way to the city of Jerusalem. They had left the northern province of Galilee, crossed over the Jordan River and headed south through the province of what we know as Perea. And now that they were parallel to their destination, they turned back to the west and they crossed the Jordan River again. And the first city that they would have reached was Jericho, which was about 30 miles east of Jerusalem. And as he and his disciples passed through the city, many people began to follow him, which obviously was not unusual in Jesus's day. They had probably either witnessed uh, or heard about some of his earlier miracles or they wanted to see one for themselves. And so most likely they had heard that, you know, he had raised Lazarus from the dead in the nearby town of Bethany. And they were hoping to see something of that magnitude on this particular day. And as the crowd made its way through the city, there was a man who could hear the commotion coming, but could not discern what was taking place, for he was blind. His name was Bartimaeus, and the Bible says here that he was a beggar. 
And, and this was how most handicapped individuals made ends meet in biblical times. There was no discriminatory laws. There was no OSHA requirements. So they had little hope of making a living any other way. And so when Bartimaeus heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth who was causing all this commotion and he was gaining this great following and he could hear the steps and hear the hubbub around him, that he began to yell out, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And it's interesting that he did not use the title that had been given to him. And so when he asked, hey, who is this? What's causing all this commotion? Somebody had told him Jesus of Nazareth is coming down the way. Yet when he yelled out to Jesus, he did not say Jesus of Nazareth. He said Jesus, the son of David. Now, Jesus of Nazareth would have been the more uh, customary way of addressing Jesus. That would have separated him from all the Jesuses from other cities and towns there in Israel. But when he cried out, Jesus, the son of David, that separated him not from just all the other Jesuses in other towns, that separated him from everyone that lived everywhere. Because that was a title that differentiated him from everyone because that was a messianic title. It, it, it was a title that identified him as the one who was promised in the Old Testament that God said he would send one day to bring salvation to his people. And so it was the one that Jeremiah wrote about when he said there, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch and a king shall reign and prosper and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. And, and so Jeremiah had prophesied years and years earlier that God was going to send this Messiah, this one and he was going to come and become the king and he was going to save his people. You know, more specific maybe to Bartimaeus's need would have been the prophecy concerning the Messiah, which Isaiah wrote about when he said, say to them that are of a fearful heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, even God with a recompense. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap as in heart and the tongues of the dumb sing for in the wilderness shall waters break out in streams in the desert. And so maybe it was that verse that Bartimaeus was thinking about that when the Messiah come, he was going to do all these wonderful works. And one of them was causing the blind to see. And so by addressing Jesus with such a title, Bartimaeus was attesting that even though he had never laid eyes upon Christ, Due to what he knew of him, what he had heard of him from others, he believed him to be Israel's long-awaited Messiah. And so therefore his plea for mercy was the cry of a penitent sinner who realized that he deserved God's condemnation but longed for God's grace. As one commentator aptly put it, his heart had seen the light before his eyes ever did. And so his cries elicited, though, no sympathy from the crowd. For as soon as he began to yell out, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy upon me, they began to shush him down. They said, keep your, you know, they said, uh, 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 rebuked him. They, they told him there, uh, you know, in uh, uh, verse, uh, whatever is it, I lost my place here. And so in verse 49, and many charged him that he should hold his peace. You know what that means? That, that's just a polite way of saying, shut up. 
you know? They looked at him and said, hey, what are you doing over here? You know, you're, you're not worthy of Jesus. You're, you're a blind beggar man over here. Keep it down. You have no place calling out to this great man over here, this wonderful individual that obviously has the power of God upon his life. And so they were trying to shush him down, but he would not be shushed. I mean, he recognized this is my opportunity. This is my one chance. And so every time they tried to shush him down, he just got louder and he just began to cry out more fervently. Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy upon me. And so he was not going to let this opportunity pass him by. And upon hearing Bartimaeus's cries, Jesus stopped. And he commanded that he be brought to him. And this just shows us the truth of James chapter 4 and verse 8, which states, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. You know, our God is not one who turns away from those who humbly cry out to him. You know, those who recognize their need for his mercies will always find a listening ear. You know, the individuals who went to Bartimaeus to bring him to Jesus, they said, hey, be of good comfort. Rise, he calleth thee. And I have a feeling that these individuals were probably just as surprised as Bartimaeus. You know, like I said, they probably figured that he wasn't worth the Savior's time. And they were shocked that though that's what they thought, Jesus didn't think the same way. And so they brought him to him. And when they said that Jesus called for him, Bartimaeus, man, he wasted no time. It says here that he casted aside his garment and he went to Jesus. Now, most commentators, when you read, when you start there and try to figure out what does that mean, just casting aside the garments, they, most of them think that it meant either one of two things. Either he had the garment cloaked over him, you know, maybe he was, you know, cold or needed some comfort or whatever, you know. Uh, I got news for you. Since I've been out here, I've been cloaking a lot of garments over me, you know. <laughs> I, I, I thought you and our, my, your pastor and, and Brother Troy here was my friend, you know, and he, he had me leave 72 degree weather and come out here to the cold tundra of Tulsa. And so I've been cloaking myself and I'm not about to cast it aside anytime soon. But Bartimaeus, you know, it may have been that he was cloaked with this garment and he cast it aside, but it may have been that he had laid this garment out to receive the alms of others. And he when he was called to Jesus, he cast it aside. In other words, I don't need the alms. I need you. But whatever the case, one thing is certain we can tell, he recognized the value of having the opportunity to approach Jesus. And so when they brought him before the Lord, Jesus asked him, well, what wilt thou that I should do unto thee? And Bartimaeus immediately responded, he wanted to receive his sight. And Jesus responded and said, go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. Now this meant that that was more than just a physical healing of his eyesight. This was also a spiritual healing of this man's soul. You know, Jesus used this man's infirmity as a vivid picture of what he can do for the spiritual condition of all those who seek his mercy and place their faith in him. And he will heal all those that come to him and he will heal them immediately and completely. You know what I mean by this? 
Well, God's word is very clear that when we come into this world, we come into it what we would call spiritually dead. You know, this means that we have no relationship with Almighty God. A, a spiritually dead person cannot relate with someone who is spiritually alive. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1, Paul wrote, And you hath he, God, quickened, which just means made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins. And so he was writing to people who were obviously physically alive, but explaining to them how they had one time been spiritually dead. And the reason we are born spiritually dead is because we are born sinners. You know, we have all come from the lineage of Adam. And as Romans chapter 5 and verse 12 says, Wherefore, as by one man, speaking of Adam, sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. You see, human beings may be different in many areas, but in this particular area, we are all exactly the same. You know, it doesn't matter whether you are old or whether you're young, whether you're black or whether you're white, whether you're educated or whether you're ignorant, Republican or Democrat, we are all sinners. And the saddest part is if we physically die in our natural state of spiritual death, in other words, being separated from God, if we die that way, then we will end up being separated or experience this spiritual death for all eternity. You know, in Revelation chapter 21 and verse 8, but the writer here is not wanting to give a comprehensive list of sinners, but he does kind of give a summary list of sinners. And he just says, but the fearful and the unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And so, you know, so we, we are born into this world and, and we're born sinners. And because of that, we're separated from God because we are spiritually dead. We do not have the ability to have a relationship with Almighty God. And the bad thing is, is if we die in this state, then we will remain spiritually dead. We will remain spiritually separated from God for all eternity. And realizing this problem, what many people try to do is they try to de defeat death on their own. You know, they think that if they can become a better human being, or maybe if they become a little bit more religious, maybe if I just start going to church and start giving to some of the functions around the church, maybe if I uh, do some type of religious rite and go through some baptismal waters, and maybe then I will be able to be reconciled unto God. Maybe then I can find spiritual birth. And, and so they begin to do these things. But again, the Bible is clear that this is impossible for us to do by ourselves. You know, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8 and 9 says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And Titus chapter 3 and verse 5 reads, Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. And so we can no more make ourselves spiritual alive than Bartimaeus could make his dead eyes see. You know, we cannot do that. That is not beyond our physical power because we need a spiritual awakening, something we cannot do for ourselves. 
And so the bad news is, is that we do not have the power to overcome death. That's the bad news. We are born dead in our trespasses and sins, and we have no power to overcome that death ourselves. But the good news is, is that there is one who does. You know, Jesus is the only person who died and rose again by his own power. You know, when Jesus walked upon this earth, he said this would be the case. In John chapter 10 and verse 17 and 18, he declared, Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it up again. And and so Jesus said, I have power over death. I'm going to show that one day. I'm going to allow myself to die. He goes, but then three days later, I'm going to cause myself to live once more. But how does that help us? Well, this way, Jesus's resurrection not only shows that he could defeat death in his own life, but it shows he has the power to defeat it in our lives as well. Jesus promised that those of us who believe in him will be spiritually reborn, never to die again. We will be given everlasting life. We will begin a relationship with God that will have no end. I mean, you just think about the Gospel of John and how Jesus spoke there so often about this very fact. In John chapter 3 and verse 36, Jesus said, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. In John chapter 5 and verse 24, he preached, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. In John chapter 6 and verse 47, he said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. In John chapter 8 and verse 24, he declared, I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins, for if ye believe not that I am he, who was he, the Savior, ye shall die in your sins. And then when he was speaking to Martha, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? And so Jesus's message stayed the same throughout his entire earthly ministry. If we want to be born again, if we want our sins to be forgiven, if we want to have a relationship with Almighty God, we have to believe that Jesus is the Son of God and the Savior of the world. We have to see him as the only way to the Father, and we have to see that we have need of him. That is what we must believe. And can I tell you that Jesus is more than willing to give you this gift of salvation. The fact that you are in this room at this time under the preaching of his word means that you are being afforded an opportunity that many in this world have not have and do not have today. You know, the question is, though, will you seize the opportunity? Or will you let it slip by? Will you cry out to Jesus 
and ask Him to do a miracle in your life? You know, will you ask Him to save your soul? If you do this, you will find that He will respond to you. Just like He responded to Bartimaeus. You may look at yourself and say, why would Jesus take any note of me? Can I tell you, there's no reason for Jesus to take note of any one of us. It is all by His grace. There's not any of us that can cry out to Him and say, you, I deserve to hear from you, Lord. No, we're just nothing more than sinners out here. It is His grace that He is offering to each and every one of us. But the fact is that Romans chapter 10 and verse 13 states, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And every individual that believes in Him, that calls out to Him, He turns none of us away. He saves our soul. You know, when I got saved, I was a seven-year-old boy. We were visiting a, a, a friends of ours, a Baptist church there in Oklahoma City. Me and my parents were sitting on like the second of the back row. So we were very good Baptists. And, and so, you know, we were back there and, and a man was preaching the gospel message. And I just remember I must have not had anything in my pockets or a pen to doodle with or something because for whatever reason that day I was paying attention to what he said. And as he began to preach the message of Jesus Christ, there and the resurrection and all that he wanted to do in my life. I just remember when the, the preacher at the front said, we're going to have an invitation now. And if you would like to accept Christ as your savior, if you would like to call upon him, I'm going to invite you to do so. Just come down and somebody will pray with you and you can be saved. And I looked at my parents. I said, move over. I'm heading down. And they looked and said, what? And I said, yeah, he just said I could receive salvation. I know I need it. What would Almighty God have anything to do with a little seven-year-old boy in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma? I did not deserve anything, any grace from Him. Who am I in the cosmos out here of the world? And yet He heard me. And He came to me. And He did a miraculous work in my life. And He caused a little boy who was dead in his trespasses and sins to be alive, and I've been alive evermore, and I shall never die. And one thing you don't want to ever do, though, is to presume that he will pass by your way again. You know, we, know, we have no idea what tomorrow holds. You, you realize that this was the last time that Jesus went through Jericho? He was heading to his crucifixion on this particular journey. Good thing Bartimaeus didn't say, you know, man, I'd love to call out to him right now. I know that, you know, I've heard stories about him. I'd love to call out, but man, you know, I don't know. I'm a little embarrassed. I don't know. You have to call out and make a spectacle of myself over here. You know, people already treat me crummy already. I just don't know if I really want to do that or not. You know, he could have come up with a hundred million reasons why he should just remain quiet there, stay over there in his huddled corner and let the opportunity pass by. But he did not. But how many others have? You know, to me, one of the saddest parts of the entire Bible is found in Acts chapter 26 and verse 28. The Apostle Paul was in prison and was brought before a man named King Agrippa. And while in his presence, Paul told him of Jesus. 
and how he was indeed the Savior. And when Paul was done, the king responded and he said, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. King Agrippa was so close to receiving the greatest gift ever offered, but he let the opportunity just slip by. As far as we know, King Agrippa never became a Christian. And if that's the case, then he is separated from God for all eternity. Let me tell you, if you are here today and you have never put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior, I hope you don't make the same mistake as King Agrippa. I hope that you will seize the moment and cry out to the Lord and experience how He will stop to do a miracle in you. Now, I've often thought there's actually something worse than being cast into the fires of hell for all eternity. And that is being cast into those fires knowing that you had the opportunity to be saved. Maybe you're here today and you had taken and seized an opportunity in your past. And you know Christ as your Savior. And you're, you're settled in that score. But maybe today you've come and you know that you have an issue. You know, that there's something not right in your life. You know, God still want to do miracles in us who are His children as well. But we need to call out upon Him. Right. We need to humble ourselves and ask for His grace. And the great thing is, it doesn't matter who we are or what we've done. He'll stop and do a work right there in us. Let's stand.